As you will have seen, as you came up the stairs uh, into our auditorium today, um, you will have seen the words, uh, God's plan, painted in gold paint on the wall. Uh, And that's our theme for this Christmas and this season. Each of our messages in December, uh, what we do is we aim to take a look at one particular character from the Nativity story uh, who is chosen by God in a particular way, and we try and understand the role that they play um, in his plans in bringing Jesus into the world at Christmas time. Um, now, last week we looked at the person of Zechariah, didn't we? Uh, and Zechariah had a little bit of an awkward time in not believing Gabriel, and he ended up unable to, no sound in, no sound out, for like about nine months, wasn't it? From what I can tell. Um, uh, we, we wonder whether his wife was chuffed with that or not, we don't know. Uh, but he had a bit of a tough time of it, didn't he? Uh, and then next week we're going to be looking at Mary. Uh, the mother of Jesus, uh, and how she played such an important part in God's plan, uh, and how that, uh, how that affected her and, and her responses to that. On Christmas Day, we are going to take a chance, uh, just at 10 a.m., a slightly shorter service, we're going to take a chance to look at a man who got led of the Holy Spirit to be in just the right place at just the right time, um, uh, to be a, a available to do an impromptu baby dedication of the Lord Jesus himself uh, in the temple, uh, and that's a guy called Simeon. Uh, looking forward to speaking about him. But, but today we are investigating uh, the man whom God called to be the stepfather to Jesus and the husband to Jesus' mother, Mary, namely the person of Joseph. And uh, I just want to say thank you to you, Ohi, for reading. Uh, your, the readings that we've uh, picked for today are clustered around what happens with Joseph, and they're all from Matthew's Gospel. Um, and they show him to be a really key player Uh, in the nativity story. And there are are three things that I want to pick out for us uh, about Joseph this morning that make him, they make him incredibly eligible for use in God's plans. Uh, He he sets himself apart in a way that makes him incredibly useful. And I want to unpack those three things because I think those three things are all things that we could pick up on ourselves and thereby make ourselves useful and available to God at the same time. The first thing uh, that I want to say about Joseph is that he was willing to cover. He was willing to cover. And by by, by that, I mean he was willing to cover a person and to protect them with his behaviors and his words so that their potential indiscretions were not exposed. Uh, He wanted to seek to de-escalate a situation and cover it over. Uh, And I really like this about Joseph. Um, I once worked for uh, a really outstanding uh, manager, a guy called Pete. Uh, it was back in my IT days, uh, and Pete was a very gifted manager. He was um, uh, sort of like the account manager of our, of our account, uh, and uh, you know, in terms of working with good leaders, I've had a privilege with working with lots of good leaders over the years, but Pete was right up there among them. Um, in terms of delivering projects on time to budget to requirements and keeping the customer happy, there was no one like him in our company. He was just exceptional at that particular uh, function. He was a great, great project manager, one of the best I've ever come across. He always came through on his word. Um, if you ever sat in an office with him where he dressed down suppliers, it was pretty breathtaking what he would say to them, and yet they'd all jump to attention and sort things out for him. Uh, he was kind, and yet he was also objective. If you fell out of line, you knew about it. Um, he knew how to motivate and inspire me and lots of other people in our team. He was very, very hot on verbal commitments. 
And I found this out quite, I found this out quite early working for him. I sort of, uh, you know, if you, if you just sort of airily said, oh, yeah, I'll do that this week. By Friday, he was phoning you and saying, hey, you said you'd do that. Where is it? And I'd be like, oh, gosh. And I only, I only made that mistake a couple of times with Pete. And, and then I knew that I, made, I had to make sure my words matched my reality. He was very much, he wasn't a Christian, but he was very much a your yes is your yes and your no is your no person. And it was refreshing uh, to work with. He had a a specific thing that he would say to us in our team. Uh, He would say, treat verbal commitments given as guarantees that things will happen. Uh, and I kind of liked that. I thought, yeah, fair enough. Let's, let's, let's make our, our reality conform to our words. Uh, we can all deliver projects that way. However, Pete's boss, so effectively my boss's boss, he wasn't of the same caliber, in my opinion. Okay? Uh, so uh, Pete's boss was um, a guy who, he likes the high life of kind of a, a, account management at the top level of the company. And a lot of what Pete's boss seemed to be doing was kind of swanning around the country, schmoozing customers, kind of trying to negotiate big deals. But really, it seemed to me spending an awful lot of time in the horse races, if I'm honest, uh, and using that as an excuse to kind of invite customers for corporate days out. Um, and so uh, one day, uh, he wasn't in the office yet again. He was hardly ever in the office. And I said to Pete, I said, so where is he? Uh, and Pete said, I think he's out of the races again. And I said, is that actually work, Pete? You know, I mean, we're, you know, we're working here delivering server upgrades and rolling out Windows software and making sure our customers are happy and that their systems are up and running. And this guy is down at the racetrack and he's enjoying bets with the horses with other customers, you know. Um, and uh, Pete came back to me with what has become a classic answer in my mind. It's kind of gone into my history, a corporate history, if you like. Uh, and he said this about his boss's behavior. He said this, it's a leadership style, Nick. It's just a leadership style. And I was a bit thrown at first. I was like, well, you're not really commenting either way here, Pete. I mean, you know, this is, you know, you, you, in fact, you're being quite astute. And as I thought about it some more, I realized that Pete was trying to cover his boss. He was trying to just come out with a neutral statement. Uh, and, and actually, if you think about how smart that is, if somebody then reports later to Pete's boss down the line that he's said those words, like, what, what kind of offense can he take? You know, he's been told that he's got a leadership style. So what? Everybody's got a leadership style. But Pete and I knew what Pete meant, which was that it was a certain kind of style, which didn't involve an awful lot of work, it seemed. Um, so I think it was really astute of Pete to say that because it wasn't going to come back and bite him in the future uh, in an unfortunate way. Um, but more importantly than that, and relevant to where I'm going with my message today, it showed that Pete was seeking to cover where he could. He was trying to cover a person. Now, I pressed him to try and say more than just it's a leadership style. I wanted to say, well, was it a good leadership style or was it a weak leadership style? Come on, Pete, come out and say it. And he wouldn't. But he was just trying to cover his boss. What he was trying to do was he was trying to give his boss room to reorient and actually land a sales deal and come good on all that time spent with those customers. Uh, doesn't seem like working, but maybe it was. And, and Pete was being kind. Um, and I actually really liked for Pete. I, I liked Pete for that because he was being covering to his boss and he's being covering to himself. If you think about it, there's a wisdom there in that, isn't there? So I want you to come with me with that story in mind um, into the nativity story where something is discovered and in wine that was really reached a peak in around about February this year, 
early February 2022. Uh, loads of people were playing it at that time. The idea behind Wordle is you've got, got kind of a few goes, I think six goes to get a five-letter word. And if you get, you, you try and enter the word, you know, the letters in. And if you get one of the letters right and in the right place, it goes green. And if you get one of the letters right, but you've got it in the wrong place, it goes yellow. And from there, you can work out over the six steps, hopefully you can get to the answer with the word. Um, now, the New York Times bought it from the developer, a guy called Josh Wardle. I'm sure he's done the, the game based as a play on his name, um, for what they call a low seven-figure sum, which is kind of a polite way of saying just over a million dollars. And they bought it off of him, I think it was on the 31st of January 2022. Uh, and in February 2022, it reached its peak of about 300,000 players a month. But then it peaked there, and then it's declined ever since. Uh, and the one or two of you who are in the congregation who still play it, that's great that you've hung on to that, and you're still playing it. Good for you. But I think the world's moved on. I'm not being unkind, but you know, most people are not playing Wordle anymore, although it's a great game. Perhaps we should kind of get back on it and make it popular again this Christmas. The reason I'm sharing the story, though, is that in terms of, ter in terms of timing, Josh Wardle could not have got it more right. He got it absolutely spot on. He made his million through perfect timing. Uh, he got it just right and sold at exactly the right point. Uh, and he must be laughing all the way to the bank. Now, good timing has much more importance to it than just hitting it lucky with an online game. Um, I recall something that the um, Archbishop of Canterbury, a guy called Justin Welby, asked for in response to a question about how can we pray for you. He was in an interview with uh, that evangelist guy, uh, Canon J. John, and J. John said to him, so uh, Archbishop, how can we pray for you? And he said three things. Um, uh, he, he, he said this, uh, let me just pick this up. Um, Please pray that I would have the wisdom to know what to do, the timing for when to do it, and when the time comes, the courage to get it done. Now, just think that through for a moment. That's a very, very sharp prayer to ask for. Um, you're asking for the wisdom to know what to do. Uh, that's kind of up there with sort of Daniel-type requests in the Bible, in my opinion, really, really knowing exactly what it is that God would want you to do. But then he's marrying that up with timing so that it's not just about the wisdom being right and you know exactly the right thing to do, but you do it at just the right point. Because... Um, wisdom is fine, but it's far, far better if it hits at just the right time. You can be really, really wise, but might, you might miss the timing, and then it's no good. Um, and then he's asking for the courage to do the thing when the time comes round. Uh, so wisdom for the what, timing for the when, and the courage to do it when it's the right time. Uh, and I've just taken that away, and that's something that I sometimes ask uh, some of you guys as men that I, who are on my prayer shield. You might see that from time to time, that you pray wisdom, time, and courage for me. So good timing is really, really key. And for Archbishop Justin Welby to ask for that reveals how important it was to him. Just want to ask you for a moment. Think about the importance of good timing around certain things, and also, therefore, the capacity to wait, which is what we're talking about with Joseph. Think about some of these things that involve the ability to wait. Dieting. Dieting is all about timing, and it's all about our ability to wait, even though we're really hungry. Now, I can hear you thinking from your seats. It's got nothing to do with timing. It's got everything to do with hunger, Pastor Nick. <laughs> I get that. 
But the deal with timing is pace. The deal with dieting, sorry, is pacing the timing so that you're spacing out your meals enough so that they're slightly less than the cal- you know so that your calories are slightly less than the energy that you're burning. So that over time it gradually goes downhill in terms of the amount of you know your weight goes downhill because you're using it slowly over time. So dieting is all about the ability to wait. What about reacting to someone being negative towards us? Well, timing is key there too because. If we just react straight away, we can sometimes not give people our best response. Yeah? Amen? Just being honest. You know, if you, if you shoot from the hip straight away in a situation, sometimes the timing of that has a lot to be desired. Whereas if we've taken our time and we've prayed about it and we've slept on it and perhaps reviewed it with some of our friends, the chances are that when we go back and have the reaction, it's going to be a bit more fruitful and a bit more measured. So timing, the ability to wait uh, in the heat of an argument can sometimes be very, very helpful. How about character? Character is not built overnight. It's very significant to me that um, Moses took 40 years before he was ready to be the leader of, uh, of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Uh, Jesus had to wait 30 years for his ministry to be, to be ready to, to go and get baptized and then go off on his ministry that lasted three. How about romance? Sometimes a man is going to need to wait patiently for the woman that he loves. And that's going to take time. It's going to take a long time. Uh, I was always mindful of the story of uh, Jacob uh, in the Old Testament who waited patiently for 14 years uh, to win the woman that he really fancied and really loved. And that was Rachel uh, back in Genesis. So what I really admire about Joseph uh, in today's nativity story is he's willing to wait. He's willing to wait. It says in Matthew 1, 24 through to 25, Joseph married Mary, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And that tells me that Joseph was highly respectful of what he's been told by the angel. And it translates into a patient waiting on his part for his wife, his wife-to-be. In fact, let's just get the facts out on the table. The first time that Joseph consummates his marriage and sleeps with Mary in that way is after the birth of Jesus. You know, one definition of a boy is that you can't wait. One definition of a man is that you can. A man knows how to wait until the right time, and that includes curtailing sexual activity for the sake of your wife or your wife-to-be. Imagine the step change in our society if all men were like Joseph and had the capacity to wait until the right time. Sorry, men, I'm treading on your toes a bit today, I know. We might have a, a, a larger number of stable households uh, with both parents represented. Um, Chloe and I re- regularly run a marriage preparation course for couples who are looking to get engaged. Uh, and in the final session, we kind of do it over four or five sessions. In the final session, we discuss physical intimacy. And we talk about why it is that God sets out the need for sex to be something reserved for once we are married only, which of course then involves waiting, just like Joseph waits. And it's all to do with godly respect for the whole person. And the fact that you cannot actually give part of yourself away, you can only give your whole self away. If you've slept with someone before it's time, you've effectively tried to divide up self in a way that cannot be divided up. Although so many in our societies, past and present, have tried to do that. When you marry someone, you're basically saying, I love you enough to give you all of myself for the rest of my days. So God asking us to wait uh, before we have sexual relations with our, with our wife or our husband is his reminder that we are whole people who can only be given whole. 
If we try to compartmentalize, what we're basically saying is, I'm going to give you my body for this short time now, but I'm not sure about giving you my future. And so what you're doing is you're dividing up self in a way that God ordained was not possible. You can't really do that, even though we might try. So Joseph was someone who was willing to wait for Mary, and in fact, he waited longer than most other husbands, if you think about it, because most other husbands only have to wait until their wedding day, and then marital relations may start, and they will be legitimate and fine, and then there may be a baby that arrives after that. But Joseph waits not just until his marriage day, but until after the nine months that Jesus has uh, you know, been in Mary's womb and has been born, and, and then he's able to start his own family. So number one, Joseph was willing to cover, and number two, Joseph was willing to wait. Thirdly, Joseph was willing to listen. And covering, waiting, and listening are great, great skills for everyone, not just for men, uh, for men and women as well. Um, But he he just has the ability to do all three of these things. Let me share a story with you uh, about the the capacity to hear from God, Um, uh, and through a dream, in fact. So about three, four months uh, before I became a Christian, I had a really, really vivid dream one night, just crystal clear. Um, I was, in the dream, I was walking through uh, Stevenage Town Center, of all places. Uh, I used to live in that part of the world, um, and it was kind of like a gray day, uh, mid-morning on a Saturday, lots of people about doing their shopping, busy but quiet, you know, not a lot of noise around, and as I was walking along through the town center, um, somebody kind of came up to me to give me a postcard, and I, at first I thought, oh, this is, this is a sales pitch for something, so I, I kind of received the postcard, and as the guy handed me the postcard without looking at me he kind of said something and walked off into the crowd Um, uh, and he said the owner of that is on your back right now and I turned and sort of said well the owner of what and but he was gone and I couldn't see him anymore he just disappeared into the crowd and so I had this postcard in my hand and I turned the postcard over and on the back of the postcard was a picture that sent shivers down my spine. It was a picture, so this is in the dream, okay? In, there was a picture of a torso from here, from the waist up to the shoulders, so to kind of the neck area. Um, and it was, a, a, it was a bear torso, it was a man's torso, and it, had, it was covered in really horrible uh, tattoos, really nasty pictures. It had piercings, there were spikes, uh, there were scars on there as well. It was something really shocking. And I was like, oh, gosh, like this. And as I looked at it... And, and, and the impact of this guy's words kind of sank into me that this is on my back. I suddenly then became aware that the owner of this torso was literally was riding piggyback on my back. And I hadn't been aware of it at all. I literally hadn't been aware of it. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these situations where you've maybe kind of got a, like a, a beetle or, a, or, a, or an insect or a grasshopper or something. And you've been out on a country walk and, and it's clinging to your finger, right? Or it's on your, on your arm and it just won't go away. And you try and brush it off and it's clinging on really hard. And then you get that moment, momentary panic. Uh, maybe, maybe that's just me and you're all really sensible. But sometimes I don't like that. It's a horrible feeling where something's clinging to you and you don't want it there. And so I, that was the feeling I had with this, this entity or this person that was on my back. And so I did a massive sort of shoulder shake and shook this figure off and I felt and heard him fall to the ground and then I ran I ran for my life through the crowd nobody else seemed to be really that bothered by what was going on or coming to my help and so I just sprinted I ran through the crowd I jumped over stuff I ran around corners I tried to give this person the slip and I could hear them chasing me so this is all going on in my dream incredibly vivid incredibly clear and then 
In the maniac's logic of dreams, I see a, a sign pointing up some steps in the town hall saying, census, this way. And I think, oh, yeah, I'll go and fill in a census. <laughs> like, that's the most important thing I've ever done in my life, right in the middle of being chased by a maniac. So I, I kind of divert up these steps, and I go into the town hall, and the, the guys are really good in there, and, and they kind of guide me through to the computer suite, and they sit me down at the desk. And the man who's been chasing me, or the entity who's been chasing me, is nowhere to be seen. He must still be outside somewhere. And I sit at the desk, and I'm typing out my details, and I put my name and my address and stuff like that, and I filled out this web form. And then I press enter, and as I press enter, it captures my details, and three more guys come out of a, like a, a room off to the side, and they put a hood over my head, and they bundle me off downstairs through another side entrance, uh, and I go outside, and I'm put into the back of a van, and I go racing off, uh, and I can hear screeching of tires, and we're thrown around in the back of this van, and then we go several blocks of Stevenage. And then we arrive at a place where they bundle me out of the van again, and I get taken down some steps, and then they... So I can sense there's a big crowd there, and they pull the hood off me, and there's a massive cheer of a large crowd of Christians are in this room. And the leader of this meeting says, you have been found by God. We have rescued you from the devil. The moment you said that you were going to fill in the census, we had our permission from God to come and rescue you, and that's what we have did. And what you had on your back was the enemy himself. Satan himself was on your back, and you just didn't know it. You are now free and you've transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And at that point, I was like, <gasps> in, in bed. I woke up bolt upright. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is that? Uh, and I wrote the dream down, like really like in the middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning, something like that. I wrote it out on, on Word and I saved it. Uh, and, I, and I was like, gosh, that's a really, really vivid dream. And I asked my pastor about it because we were on a journey to getting married and starting to go to church around that kind of time. This was before I got saved. And the pastor said, the Lord is going to save you. The Lord is asking you to come to him. And that entity that is on your back is the enemy. And I, and I said, yeah, but I didn't know that he was there. And now I suddenly do. And he said, yeah, that's the whole deal. People who kind of don't know that the enemy they don't know that he's there, but he is. And the moment you decide to start following Jesus, it becomes apparent what the spiritual realities are. And God needs to rescue you and pull you out of that domain. And he set me free. That is a just, and that happened to me as a person. That was an actual dream from God to me. That happened in my experience. And not long after that, we were going through the Alpha Course, and I became a Christian um, and gave my life to Jesus. The reason I share that story is because I think that Joseph is a person who listens to God through dreams. God speaks to him in a dream uh, several times, uh, and it becomes, in fact, if you look in the Gospels, if you go into BibleGateway.com and you narrow it down to just the Gospels and you search for the word dream, you get dream six times in Matthew's Gospel alone, and four of them are Joseph. Joseph has four dreams, and they're all in the nativity account uh, of how uh, God uses him in his plans around Christmas. Uh, let me just take you through those dreams. Uh, Joseph listened to the dream about taking Mary as his wife rather than divorcing her quietly. Joseph listened to the dream about escaping into Egypt rather than hanging around in Bethlehem because it was dangerous. He listened to the dream about returning to Israel when he was in Egypt with Mary and Jesus. And then he listened to the dream about going to Galilee and not Judea so that Jesus could grow up safely and in fulfillment of that prophecy that oh, he read to us that he would become known or called a Nazarene. Now I'm sure that in writing for his Jewish audience, um, Matthew is kind of making a point. Here's another dreamer called Joseph. 
Because there's a dreamer in the Old Testament uh, in Genesis who, who brags about his dreams from God and it kind of lets him down and then it comes good in the end. God speaks to Joseph very clearly in these dreams. And the key thing about Joseph as a character is he listens. He listens to what God tells him to do. Uh, let me just tell you quickly the two other dreams of the six that appear in Matthew. And both of the, they're like a kind of one is a positive affirmation of what Joseph is like and one, of his a, one, of his, one is like a counter to it. Um, the, other one, the, the other good one is that the, uh, there's a dream that the wise men have, isn't there? Um, and, and the wise men are warned not to go back to Herod's court and go back by another route, and they do, and Herod flies into a rage because he'd been outwitted by God. Uh, and then there's a dream at the end of Matthew's gospel in which Pontius Pilate gets sent a message by his wife who has had a dream about Jesus, and she, uh, she hears and knows in this dream uh, to tell her husband not to have anything to do with this righteous man. Do not do anything wrong to him. He is righteous. He has done nothing wrong. But what does Pilate do? He does not listen to his wife. Men, can I just say, would you please just listen to your wives sometimes? Because they hear from God. Amen? And it ends up, <laughs> it ends up being that Pontius Pilate effectively ignores God because he ignores his wife. And she's had a dream about who Jesus is. I'm going to ask the worship team just to return. Thank you, worship team. I want to say something important to, to us uh, today, church, that, that these three things that were in Joseph, uh, that he, he, he was willing to cover, he was willing to wait, and he was willing to listen, these are three things that God does to us. He does them to us as well. He wants to cover us. He wants to wait for us. He wants to listen to us. These are qualities that God himself has and so maybe it's no surprise that in looking for a person who can fulfill his plans at Christmas, he is identifying qualities that he respects and has in himself. Romans 4.7 says this, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Who is doing the covering there? It is God. He wants to cover our sins. How many times have we come before God and said, God, please, would you forgive me and overlook the stuff I've done wrong? Lots and lots of times, right? God wants to cover us, just as Joseph wanted to cover his wife to be. Isaiah thirty eighteen says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord is able to wait for us, just as Joseph waited for his wife. That's a beautiful thing. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to us. The Lord waits on the opportunity to be gracious to you. That tells me the Lord is specifically looking out for an opportunity to show you grace. And he's waiting for a time to just offer it to you. That's an awesome thing. What a beautiful thing for the Lord to do for us. And then Psalm 66, 19 says this. However, God has listened... He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. God covers, God waits, God listens. Would you stand with me, please, BCC? We're going to go into a time of worship in just a moment, but I'm going to ask for you to make a response during our worship time. This is what's going to happen. We're going to do a bit of responding to God. Uh, we're going to close our service in prayer, and we're going to carry on worshiping at the end after that and offering prayer to anybody who wants that. But at this point... 
just while Kevin and the team are leading us in worship, there's an opportunity for you to come to the front and make a declaration to God about these things where you can come and kind of do business with God and come and tell him what's on your heart. Come and, come and be intentional towards him. Is there an indiscretion from someone in your life towards you that it's time that you overlooked it now? It's time that you did a Joseph on this person and said, you know what, it's okay. I'm going to de-escalate that and we're going to overlook it. In fact, let's move on. If, that, if you've got a situation like that where you're kind of thinking about you're wrestling over forgiveness, you've even toyed with the idea of revenge, uh, you're, you're, it's hurt you, maybe it's time to do a Joseph and say, do you know what? I might be right about this person. I might be wrong about this person, but I'm just going to let it go. Christians are people who need to be able to let it go sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about things that do need to be exposed because there's a justice issue or someone's refusing to accept they've done the wrong thing to you. That's slightly different. This is more low level. This is more, okay, someone said a casual comment to me and I'm, I'm still nursing it six months later. It's time to move on. It's time to cover that person and just let them be. Assume the best in people. Joseph assumed the best in his wife and he wanted the best for her future. Is it time that, is there someone in your life where you need to do the same thing? Is there something that you are waiting patiently on? Is there something that you would like God's timing on for it to come through soon, but you know that you still need to wait? And is there something that you think God might be saying to you that you are struggling to hear, that you need to listen to? In Joseph's case and in my story, the dreams were very dramatic. You know, sometimes if God wants to get through to you, he absolutely will. Maybe it's a case of obedience. Maybe he's telling you stuff and you just don't want to do it. If any of those things apply to you at all, I would just encourage you, just kind of be brave and come down the front. No one's going to pick you out or judge you. They're just going to say, well, there's a person who wants to get stuff right with God this morning. I'm going to come and stand here in just a minute. One of these things really applies to me at the moment. So join me in that while we sing. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you.